Welcome to The Recovery Show. We are friends and family of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we and our guests may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of trusting the process. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Swetha, and I'll be your host today. Joining me is co-host Spencer. How are you today, Spencer? I'm doing well, thank you. Great. And next to Spencer is our special guest host, Anne. How are you, Anne? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to see you here, Anne. Um, the first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, Trusting the Process. Following the musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend, and in our lives. We will follow that with a brief news about po- the podcast before closing with another musical break. And um, I'd like to start today's show with a reading from Courage to Change. It's on page 169. Um, it states, Al-Anon helps many of us to cope with crises, crises that we simply could not have managed on our own. We learn to lean on a power greater than ourselves, and through, through the faith and support that surrounds us, we discover that we can live and even grow through terribly difficult times. For most of us, the situation eventually alters, or we learn to find peace with it. But some of us continue to worry. What if crises return? Al-Anon has helped us before, but will it work for me if I need it again? What if some other misfortune comes to pass? I cannot know what the future will bring. My best hope is my best hope is every bit as likely to occur as my worst fear. So I have no reason to give more weight to my negative assumptions. And um, as I said, my name is Swetha, and we're going to start talking about trusting the process. And um, Spencer, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what does trusting the process mean to you? Well, um, you know, I, actually, I think I want to start with a little bit of. Um, where I came from and and what I found here, um, because I think that will help to sort of illuminate um, that. But trusting the process means um, to me that there is a way for me to find that sort of elusive serenity and happiness that is promised in the Elanon preamble. And even when I don't see why that will work, I can trust that it will. Uh, when I'm faced with something that really seems totally different, mm-hmm. uh, I often find that I can apply the same process I used to recover from the effects of somebody else's drinking to other problems in my life, and I can trust that, that that's going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I came into the program uh, because I was unable to to control or stop my loved one's drinking. And... I, I had no idea what Al-Anon was going to do for me. Um, I had actually resisted coming to Al-Anon for a long time because I didn't see how those 12 steps had anything to do with my problems. Mm-hmm. And finally, the pain got to the point where I said, i got to do something. People are telling me this is something that will help. So right there, I, ha- I had to trust in that, in that small part of the process that, that coming to a meeting... Um, could have some positive impact on me. So I guess right from the beginning, I was I was trusting the mm. process. What about you, Anne? Oh, I've thought a whole lot about this. Trusting the process has been my, really sort of my mantra for the last year and a half. I heard it at a, at a retreat 
and saw all these women around me who were in um, just some real dire straits, difficult circumstances um, in the past, but for whom the process had really worked. And by the process, I mean working the steps and going to meetings and and doing, um, you know, listening to your sponsor and and listening to their experience, strength and hope. And um, and I was at a place where I had. Oh, I just had so much going on in my life. And I, like Spencer just said, I didn't understand how it could possibly work. How, how would these things that my sponsor was saying, Hey, maybe try this or, uh, let's work a fourth step on that. Or have you shared about that in meetings? I didn't understand how, what the things she was suggesting to me or telling me or putting out there to me, not necessarily suggesting, but putting as experience. Suggestions is the word. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, that that I didn't understand how that could do because it was counterintuitive to what I what I was doing. But we many people say our best thinking is what got us here, and uh, my best thinking had gotten me to a place where I was really pretty miserable and very unhappy. So the problem is that the process takes time. Mm-hmm. There is it it doesn't happen immediately. Mm-hmm. You can't. Um, work a fourth step on something and work the steps on it and then immediately have it resolved. Now I often feel better. Absolutely. But, yeah. But I don't, but there are moments where I don't and I've done what I'm, what I think I should do and what my, I feel I've been guided to do, but I still don't feel better yet. Mm. And that's where the trust comes in. I'm all, it's been difficult. I'm all, all okay with working, doing what, what is out there, you know, but the part where you just have to wait and see if it works, that's the hard part. Mm. There's no formula, huh, oh, Those are the hardest words to hear every time. You'd think it gets easier to hear there's no formula, but for someone as obsessed with mathematical formulas as me, it's like <laughs> a stake to the heart every time. There's no formula. <laughs> um, do you want to give us a little bit of background about kind of where you're from too, Anne? Sure, I'd love to. I came into the program. I had a loved one for... Uh, whom drinking was a significant problem, and I could not fix it. I could not control it. I did not cause it, and I could not cure it. And when I got to that place and I came into the program, I was um, uh, pretty miserable. I was very fortunate to um, go to a meeting that had a beginner's meeting that was run by our very own Spencer right here at the table, and um, where I found a lot of support for me just being me. No one telling me that I had to leave my loved one. No one telling me that I had to stay with my loved one. Um, people who encouraged me just to stay in the moment and do the next right thing. Mm-hmm. And do the next right thing is, uh, I think, the, a mini chunk, a little mini bite of trusting the process. You know, if we, th- I think about the process as a very big overall thing, but doing the next right thing might be the little bite-sized step of trusting the process. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got into the program. I've been in the program about seven and a half years. Um, I have moved uh, from my home group and I'm currently in a whole new city trying to figure out what what my program will look like in a new place with different meetings and new people. And and though I don't currently live with um, active alcoholism, I still find that the program 
you know, I practice these principles in all my affairs. This is, this is absolutely, this is what has gotten me through this big move. This is what's gotten me through so many very difficult things that have happened um, in my life since I've been here. But the one thing about the process, I did get to a place when I was about, I don't know, maybe four years into the program where this, I did not think that the Al-Anon process was for me. And I'll not, I did, if you'd asked me at the time, have I left the program, I would have said no, but now I look back at it and I was going to not very many meetings and not really seeing my Al-Anon friends and not really, I mean, I'd have the occasional breakfast with my sponsor, but I certainly wasn't working a program and I was much more into how I could solve my own problems. Um, How'd that work for you? That did not work for me. (laughs) (laughs) That did not work for me. I came into a fairly major crisis of the heart and a a pretty devastating breakup. And, but I knew the first place to go. The first place to go was to a meeting. And the first people to talk to were my, was my Al-Anon family. And that's when I knew that, that that process was one that worked for me. Um, Although it was difficult, there were a lot of things that I had to relearn while I was gone. I had made a lot of decisions about the way I wanted to run my life that had very little to do with my higher power or what um, turning my will in my life over to the care of my higher power. Um, and I had become incre- I had really taken my will back after after three really solid years of working a good program, and um, in that fourth year, kind of, I, I came back very willful. So when I mentioned this retreat at the beginning of the of this podcast, I was at this retreat where I was just full of self-will and very angry about what I knew I was going to have to do. The process that I knew was going to be a rough, bumpy road and that was going to require a lot of personal introspection and hurt and, and pain and, and looking at myself in that very honest mirror, something that I hadn't done while I was out. So going to that retreat, which was a, a mixed retreat of women in, in both Al-Anon and AA, um, watching the way this program worked for all of those women made me decide it was time to uh, turn that will back over again and really dive into the program. And I was very lucky. Um, I had tons of great support when I decided to do that, and I continue to try to work that program today. And fortunately, where I go to meetings now, people seem pretty impressed with the things that I repeat that I learned in my meetings back home. I tell a lot of things that that I learned up here, and it's new and fresh to them down there while I'm hearing all sorts of new and fresh things. So that's where I'm at right now with my with my trust in the process. Thanks, yeah. Um, so for me, I think, uh, well, my background is that actually um, when I started going to meetings, I had only been in, I'd only moved here for like, I think I'd only been here three months. And um, uh, for the first month and a half of those three months, I thought I was... Uh, just living on cloud nine, I had left all my problems behind and <laughs> moved alone with... Geographic cure. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, right? right? <laughs> How could my problems possibly follow me across the country? Um, but uh, it was just me and my dog, and how could anything bad happen if it was just me and my dog in an apartment and in a whole new place? And um, then I slowly, all these sorts of behaviors that I had before I left <laughs> uh, where I used to live, um, started coming up again in various forms. Um, I have a, someone in the program once told me, um, 
when you resist, the universe persists. <laughs> and, uh, and that's kind of what it was. All the problems that I hadn't dealt with and that I tried to run, aw- I think run away from in the end, uh, came up again. And at the time, so I, I grew up, uh, I think I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast. I grew up in an extremely codependent household and I, I mean, I heard of alcoholism, but I had never had any idea what alcoholism was. And now being in the program, I realized that I'd been dating only alcoholics or adult <laughs> children of alcoholics. <laughs> and oh. uh, that was it. <laughs> that was my whole dating history. And a lot of my close friends were alcoholics. And um, so when I came up here and started dating an alcoholic, <laughs> it's like, not, not surprising. Um, and uh, But a lot of the problems that I had uh my all of my codependency came came up really badly in other situations and i I really like what you said Anne, that you practice your principles in all your affairs because uh, my problems are not necessarily associated with the alcoholics in my life or that are no longer in my life or still in my life or what have you they're everywhere and that's because of my codependency (laughs) Um, and so I went to my first meeting, I think June of last year and, uh, two people kind of cornered me as soon as I finished my first meeting (laughs) and, uh, you know, told me all about the program and I thought, I really want to get out of here. But, um, they kept talking to me and I was too codependent to be like, leave me alone. (laughs) And, uh, and then I disappeared for a month, but then ended up calling people on that list over and over again and finally someone was like you know what you 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 know what I think's a good idea maybe we should go get some coffee (laughs) and uh um I really heard a lot of things in that first meeting that hit home and I was like this at first I was like oh god this is going to be a meeting about feelings isn't it oh crap (laughs) um and it was there were a lot of feelings there and I thought this is this is terrible I don't want to sit here listening to people's feelings why can't they go do it on their own in private. Like, why do, why do people come out to public and talk about their feelings? Yep. And, uh, and um, I was like, I would never, ever feel this emotional in public. And not two minutes later, someone said something, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm about to cry. <laughs> I need to get out of here. Um, but that, that really hit home, and I, I think that's why I kept calling people. Um, thankfully, sometime before I left, someone shoved a phone list into my hand, and... Um, and I started calling people because of all the other issues that my codependency had uh, created, I mm-hmm. think. And um, and then I started going to, going to meetings again. And shortly after, um, got a sponsor and started working the steps uh, pretty pretty soon after I started going to meetings regularly. And trusting the process, I, I don't know, I, in the beginning, that trusting the process was... I was really thinking about uh, thinking about it as trust. I think at the time I was just like, I don't know what else to do. I've literally picked up my life and moved as far away as I could think of while staying in a place where they still spoke English, <laughs> <laughs> except for London. Um, and uh, and I totally changed all my friends, everything, and there are my problems again. And it's been years mm-hmm. and years of the exact same problems. And I was I was exhausted, and I just. Um, So I just uh, took suggestions. I mean, I didn't necessarily trust that they would do anything, but I was like, well, I have free time. Let's, uh, let's do this. And um, as time, (laughs) I mean, I had nothing and no other idea of what to do. (laughs) So I was like, why not? You know, why not try this this feelings thing? Um, And uh, it turned out to be so much more than that. And now trusting the process is something um, entirely different to me. It's um, having something to turn to when I'm, when I have, when I'm scared or when I've tried to take back control and don't know and, and feel miserable again, feel that familiar, miserable feeling. And, and then I'm able to 
you know, then I'm able to, nowadays when I have that miserable feeling, I'm like, you know, what would probably help is if I did open the daily reader and read through that or went through the next, did some step work, went through the next step or tradition or concept that I'm looking at and, and things like that. And it just reminds me that there is a higher power and that it's going to be okay. And that maybe right now at this very moment, I'm not thinking what I want to be thinking or feeling what I want to be feeling, not the quote unquote spiritual thing. Uh, maybe I'm feeling shame <laughs> or rage, <laughs> but that's okay. And um, that's what trusting the process is to me. Um, actually, I think this is kind of a quick spoiler of uh, what's going on in meetings in my life. But uh, at the St. Joe's Open Talk last night, a guy said, the guy that was speaking said, a lot of people have varying ideas about spiritual condition. But for me, I realized that my feelings and emotions are likely to change depending on how much I've slept, how much I've eaten, and how cold I am. But my spiritual condition has absolutely nothing to do with how I feel. It has everything to do with what I do. And so that's what trusting the process is to me, is just trying to maintain my spiritual condition in that way and then trusting that the rest of it will be okay. So that's, yeah, that's how I kind of interpret trusting the process. Well, I was just thinking, as you were saying, you know, you didn't you didn't feel like you had trust at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You were just trying out suggestions. And I'd like to suggest that <laughs> that actually is a form of trust. Ooh. That it's it's sort of maybe the minimum trust, mm. but that you're saying, you say, I'll try this. Mm. Okay. There's a little bit of trust there because right. you, you have an idea that it might do something. Right. And you're willing. And right. willingness, I think, comes from trust. Absolutely. And I was thinking about the idea of trusting the process as a topic is, I think, a little more broad than just trusting your higher power. Mm-hmm. I think that the the neat thing about the idea of trusting the process means that you're trusting the people around you. And when I started coming to meetings, everyone around me felt trustworthy. Um, and that's, I think, a, a feeling I get in, in meetings a lot of places I go. It's one of the things I like in the, in the suggested closing where it says, um, although you may not like all of us, you'll love us in a very special way, the same way we already love you. And to hear my very, very first meetings that someone there already loved me and that they were willing to sit in a room and hear that be read, I felt that those people were trustworthy. So going ahead with their suggestions and and modeling my life after people who seemed to have a serenity mm-hmm. that I was looking for, that is a form of trust, trust in people, as mm-hmm. opposed to trusting in a higher power or trusting in some sort of ethereal out there. Yes. Some that, sort of ethereal out there. <laughs> is that kind of how um, uh, you started trusting the process when you first came to the program? Then? I think that I saw people who were living in that that wonderful feeling like where it says you can find um, serenity and even happiness whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not. I heard that one very oh, early. I heard thought, that. How can that be? How can that be? Oh. But boy, that would be so nice. Right. It was. It seemed to me an exciting I- idea. And that there had to be people in this room. Fortunately, um, some of my first meetings were very large. So I looked around the room and I thought, people must be getting something out of this. There must be people here who are happy, whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not. And I heard that and I wanted it. I wanted it so badly. I wanted my alcoholic to stop drinking. (laughs) Even more so, yeah. Even more so. (laughs) But if he couldn't stop drinking... I wanted my own happiness, which is still, um, it was still a little backward. 
at that point. I would, I would have, I placed his happiness, uh, his stopping of drinking above my own happiness. And fortunately, over time, I realized that my happiness and taking care of myself could come ahead of whether he was drinking or not. Mm-hmm. But that was early on watching other people. Mm-hmm. And then later, and when I, I keep referring to this wonderful retreat that I went to, but at that time I sat down with my my sponsor and she really um, wanted me to start forming relationships with women in the program. Mm. And, I, and this was part of the process that I didn't understand yet. This was, you know, this is what I thought of when, when Spencer mentioned that. I didn't understand how forming relationships with women in the program was going to help whatever I had going on at that moment. I think it was a a boy problem, likely. Um, (laughs) And I thought she was just trying to keep me away from boys. Well, I just, if I would just stay away from dating, then I wouldn't have these problems. And over the last few years, I've discovered that by forming relationships with women in the program, it meant that I had a place to go and models for behavior when I did begin to date again. It wasn't to keep me away from dating. It was to help me have strong relationships so I would be able to make those calls. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure you remember, Swetha, how hard it is just to make a call off a list. Yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> a call off a list. But a call to a woman that I had brunch with every Sunday morning was a lot less daunting, and I was much more likely to do it when I was running into places where my spiritual condition was a mess. Mm. So that was a piece of the of the process for me that came from my sponsor that I did not understand at the time. That now, when we talk about how have why am I, how is that trusting of the process been reinforced? That's it. I, I followed through with that, and my life is better, and mm. I can see the result very easily in my own life right now. Mm. Um, you know, we got a voicemail, and I think this might be a good time to play it. Okay. Um, uh, uh, unfortunately, the, the the fellow who left the voicemail didn't leave his name, but he does talk, um, after um, some introductory remarks, he talks about um, how he's coming back around to, to trusting in a process. Um, so. Hey, guys. Um, I just wanted to call and say thank you so much for what you're doing. It's really helping me out in my own recovery. And I especially got to say, I identify with a lot of what Swayta has been saying. I appreciate her transparency. It really helps me to feel that I'm not as crazy as I as I think I am sometimes and to realize that other people are, in fact, going through what I am. But as far as um, actual feedback for, to, for next week, um, trusting the process, um, I've recently been getting back into recovery myself, and, uh, you know, I kind of had this, uh, a lot of resentment, you know, towards people in the program, towards the program itself, and uh, I had, I, I'm coming back after a year. And what I found is that um, even though I've had that mistrust or whatever, just going there, um, just kind of bringing the body has been helping. Um, I'm reading Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, um, and uh, he said something interesting how with his higher power, um, he, he said it doesn't really matter if you trust that like if uh you believe it's going to work or not like he compared it to eating dinner if you eat dinner you're going to have even if you don't know all the theories about nutrition you're still gonna um benefit from having the food mm-hmm. you can just show up and um, i've just been showing up bringing the body and i've been benefiting even though i don't totally believe in it even though i'm kind of Wary, but good things are happening in my life, and um, it's just kind of coming in by osmosis. So, um, anyway, thank you so much, you guys. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. It, it really is making a difference. 
for us out here, even in California. So uh, thanks, and um, I'll be listening in. <laughs> well, thank you for that, um, those insights, and, and I want to ask... Um, and it sounds like it echoes with some of your experience. Absolutely. You know what I love about this and what is a piece of the topic that I didn't know we would be bringing to this is that you don't have to know mm. what's happening. You don't have to understand. You don't have to have that full mental plan mm -hmm. of why this is working, how it's going to work, what's going to happen. You don't have to know. And that's what I love the caller saying, bringing the body, mm. showing up, just doing the next right thing. You, yeah. you know, you don't have to know. And that's a really interesting thing about the idea of trusting the process. You don't even have to know what the process is. Right. You can just do it and yeah. it works. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've had experiences uh, where I've gotten benefits from the program, um, you know, coming to, uh, to be able to find serenity and happiness while my alcoholic was still drinking. And in fact, coming to be able to absolutely love the person while hating the disease. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that sounds so trite, but it's so hard, and it and it really it was real. Um, I still, even after it happened, after it happened, I don't know right. how it happened. Right. Mm. Okay. Uh, I just did what people suggested. I did what people said I should do. I did what people said they did, mm -hmm. and I got these benefits. And I trust. I trusted that something good could happen. And something did, and I still don't know how. Really, it's the miracle. Yeah, yeah. It, that's I, I use that word. Yes, it and, is, and that's not a word that I used to use, sort of, you know, seriously. Right. You know, I I would joke about miracles, but to actually have something like that happen in my life, where I had this awakening, right, without knowing where it came from, right, without knowing how it happened, is. It's a miracle. I mean, I don't have any other word that describes it. And I don't think there is. I think the idea of miracle, a, a something that we have no explanation for, mm -hmm. it has occurred for, for many of us in the program mm -hmm. that uh, we've tried so hard to get where we wanted to be through way, through methods of explanation, through ways we could explain should work or, mm -hmm. or could work. Right. And then we come into the program and we have these moments where this shouldn't or couldn't or wouldn't work. And then it does. And that's <laughs> the miracle. You know, yeah. um, that's what works for me. There was something that Spencer just said that I wanted to comment on about. Oh, the miracle and being, being awake and ready for it and noticing it. I think a lot of, um, understanding that the process works for me now comes from being in the program mm -hmm. quite a while and just watching it happen for people over and over again and being aware and ready for it. Mm -hmm. And that happened because I keep coming back. Like the caller said, keep bringing the body. There mm -hmm. were, there were meetings that I went to and I'm sure people who know me will remember these meetings where I laid on the floor in the back of the room, and I, I will admit, I played solitaire on my phone. I couldn't, I couldn't be fully present in the meetings. There was too much emotion, too much pain, too much of whatever was going on, but I knew I had to be in the room. Mm -hmm. So I would duck in late. I'd go sit in the back. I had friends that knew I would be there, and they would sit near me and support me, and I'd lounge around and lay around because I couldn't handle sitting up. I mean... <laughs> was a rough time. And I would 
sort of half engage mm -hmm. with this solitaire playing and and all of a sudden I would go and maybe I'd only play solitaire for half the meeting and then maybe I would not play and then maybe the net and then over a course of about six months I didn't even think about getting the phone out and I didn't even and I was sitting in chairs again where people could see my face and that is part of the that's the miracle that and I didn't see it I didn't even know it was happening until mm -hmm. I sat down here just now and I rec I realized I went to a meeting a couple weeks ago and I was not in a great headspace and I thought oh maybe I could sit in the corner sit in the corner <laughs> and play some solitaire and then I realized I didn't need to do that anymore that I could face my emotions I could face what was going on but it was only through knowing that I had done it in the past mm -hmm. knowing it had worked for me in the past makes a huge difference in my program today you know maybe our caller can take a little bit of hope from from your story because it sounds like his head's in a very similar place to where yours was but he was he was bringing his body you were bringing your body he's bringing his body yes and and you know the spirit will follow i guess huh? i think it's so true i hadn't thought about those those days because those were rough days for me i haven't thought about those in a long time where I was only able to be partially engaged mm -hmm. um, in meetings. Mm -hmm. And I want to give a little bit of hope to people out there. One of the reasons I left during my hiatus, our friend Kelly calls it my hiatus, um, one of the reasons I left was because it was so painful I couldn't be fully engaged. It was during my divorce. Every time I went to a meeting, I sobbed, and I was so tired of crying. Mm. I was tired of crying. I was tired of being sad. Going to meetings just reminded me that I had not had a successful relationship with an alcoholic, and, and being there was so painful. Mm -hmm. And so I stopped bringing my body, and I wish that I had been able to do what I eventually did, which was just show up. And, and if I didn't want to dive fully in with my whole spirit every single meeting that that's okay i want to give some hope to people out there that that maybe say oh my gosh it's just too much it's too emotional it's mm -hmm. too many feelings you know i'm looking at suetha <laughs> right now because i know that the feelings thing was a really big thing and sometimes it is really big but i love what our caller said about bringing the body mm -hmm. and that was a big thing for me and that part of the process going to meetings mm -hmm. um really worked for me and I know you guys have both been in the program longer, a lot longer <laughs> than I have. Um, and I wonder, I mean, so sometimes I have uh, these moments of small miracles. I don't know if they're small. I guess for me, they're huge. They're mag magnificently large miracles. But um, like, for example, um, so I have a very close friend of mine who is um, an active al addict and alcoholic. And uh, about a year ago, he called me and he told me he has he has lung cancer mm -hmm. and that he's he's dying and that they're trying to do chemo and you know he, they're giving him marijuana and he has to he has to <laughs> do marijuana to get over the nausea. And this was well before the program, so I was just kind of like, oh, that must that must be it. That must be a thing. And then um, about a month ago or so, or not a month, I think a couple two or three weeks ago, he called me and he was like, so yeah, there was no cancer. They made a mistake. They've just been giving me chemo for the past oh. year for no real reason and uh, and stuff like that. And, I mean, something about the way he said it, something about his story, I realized that it was mostly not true at all. <laughs> but it was slightly true. Um, and uh, and for the first time, that I mean, it's not the been, it wasn't the first time that he'd lied to me about something like that or, well, maybe something like that, but he'd lied a lot before. And normally I would have... Um, 
been like, I have to figure out what to do about this friendship right now at this very moment. Everything has to be fixed and we have to know how to fix this friendship. And um, it was about a week or a week and a half before I finally got around to calling my sponsor and being like, hey, so this thing happened and I'm pretty hurt by it. I'm, I'm not pleased. I'm not really sure what to do. And I think I was, I wasn't calling her because I necessarily wanted to fix the friendship. Like I remember texting her and saying all this and thinking, what do I even want here? Nothing, nothing needs to be fixed. I'm just, I'm in pain. I accept him for who he is. He's an alcoholic. He's a little sick. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to talk to my sponsor because I don't know why I'm not feeling more angry or more wanting to fix this. And I was shocked by that. And when I finally got, um, got through the conversation with my sponsor, I was like, yeah, this is okay. I don't need to, <laughs> I don't need to make this better or worse. It is, it just is. And that was when I, when that hit me, I was like, whoa, that's, whoa. I think that's the program. Do you guys, I mean, have you guys ever been shocked or does that make sense? Like I, I was, I wasn't sure what was happening. <laughs> I thought I'd just gone dead inside or something. I don't know, <laughs> but I was feeling pain and I was like, no, there are feelings there and I'm accepting the feelings. <laughs> Isn't it neat when we see the fruits? Of the labor, right? The the program actually integrated into our lives. And, mm. and that's one of the things I think when I talk about how grateful I am for the, the length of time I've been in the program, mm -hmm. you're so lucky because I was <laughs> not where I was not where you are at, at my, at my length in of time in the program. Um, but the, having it integrated into my everyday thoughts and feelings mm -hmm. without having to really reach for it. Yeah. Um, that is a miracle to me. Um, you guys read a letter I wrote a couple weeks ago about growing up in a, in a home that had a higher power. Yeah. I think that was our step three. Yes. Episode. Yeah. Yes. Um, and how I grew up in a place where I, I had access, I had a loving God in my life, but I didn't learn how to have that quick access mm. until I was in the program and until I was in the program for quite a while. And that is a piece of my life that I'm so grateful for that I'd been trying for my whole life, always wanted to say, oh man, I wish I could remember to pray. I wish I could remember to go to God when I was having these problems. And again, I was... I was in church all uh, regularly and I could just never remember to go to God. And it's, and now it's not even a mental remembering. It's a, it's a, it's a remembering in my heart. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think one of you was saying earlier, um, this question about using the process in other parts of our lives. Mm -hmm. And, um, a couple of years ago, and at that point I, I had about nine years in the program. Um, my son had a, a psychotic break, ended up uh, in a locked ward, um, ended up temporarily suspended from school because he had said some things that could very definitely be construed as threats on somebody's safety, um, ended up with a restraining order against him, a no-contact restraining order from another student. Um, you know, my son's a wonderful person, um, but you know something was going on in his head that was not not good and and so he's 2000 miles away he's in Arizona I'm in Michigan and so we heard about this there was a whole bunch of difficulty about actually being able to talk to him once he was in the hospital because he couldn't call us and we couldn't tell him he needed to give them permission for us to call and we eventually got that worked out uh 
but I, I, you know, I didn't know what to do about it. I, I really didn't know what to do about it. Um, but I sort of, I did. It's like you say, you know, you get that, that sort of unconscious access. I mean, I regularly go to meetings, okay? Well, I went to my, my regular home group meeting, and um, I just spewed. Wow. I said, you know, my son's in the mental ward um, with breakdown. I don't know what to do. I cried. I said, if he was drunk, I'd know what to do. Right. I don't know what to do about this. But that was part of my process. You know, right. going to a meeting and sharing is, is, is part of my process. I have to get things out of my head into the light because that helps to diminish them. They're not right. as big and scary as they are inside my head. But also just something about that um, and then feeling the love coming back from the room, mm. um, you know, brought me back to a little bit of stability. I won't say serenity yet. Uh, <clears throat> and I knew, what I, ha- I knew that I had to go down there. Um, he needed somebody to receive him when he came out of the the hospital because he had no place to go. He could not go back to the dorm. He was barred from campus. Um, his ex-girlfriend who took out the restraining order was two doors down the hall. Uh, so he couldn't, really couldn't go there. And so he needed a place to live. Um, so I went down there and because of what I had learned in Al-Anon, um, I provided support, but not help. Mm, right. You know, he's 20 years old. He's an adult, uh, theoretically. <laughs> and I was able to provide a hotel room mm-hmm. for him to sleep in food for him to eat, transportation to get to the places he needed to get to, while he worked through getting readmitted to school, receiving the restraining order from the policeman, um, moving out of the dorm, finding a place to live for the last few weeks of the semester. Um, he did those things, not me. Right. And, and I had learned in the program that that was part of the process, that that. I need to get out of people's way and let them deal with their problems. I've learned so much from that story. I've heard I've heard you tell it before, Spencer, but I use that all the time when people say, you know, what can I do? What what where can I draw the line of help versus enabling? And I use that story a lot actually. Thank you. When I talk about shelter, mm-hmm. food, transportation. Um I that just, I heard a person in an open talk once talk about the difference about being responsible for someone and being responsible to someone. And I had that, and he was talking about his, um, his ex-wife who was in jail in a horrible place in Chicago and he wasn't going to go bail her out. And he went to a meeting and said, I'm not going to bail her out. That would be enabling. And someone said, you know, it is your wife and you wouldn't want your worst enemy in that jail. So do you have a responsibility to her um, because she is your wife? Um, or do you have a responsibility for fixing her problems? And that was a really, you know, that's a tough decision when you're yeah. deciding whether you're going to bail someone out of jail yeah. or not. Um, and there are so many. I've been in tough places where do I um, say I'm not going to go out to dinner with you if, if I show up and you're drunk and you're drunk, but you're not only drunk, but suicidal, you know, where's my responsibility to and for there. It's a tough part of the program. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people struggle with that, but Spencer, you really broke it down for me when talking about your son with, with safety, um, you know, a safe place to sleep, um, and food and transportation. Mm-hmm. And, and I have to say, you know, I wasn't completely happy with some of the decisions he made. 
Right. I wasn't happy with the roommate he chose. Now, maybe he didn't have a lot of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was his decision. Yeah. And it took him another year to realize that that was really not the best decision <laughs> and to move out from that particular roommate. But, you know, again, the process, I gave him the dignity of making his own decisions and learning from his right. decisions. And I'm sorry. Oh my gosh, I'm so into this right no, now. No, I'm sorry, Swetha. I'm making eye contact with Swetha across the room, and she's ready to talk, and I'm so ready to talk. One, may go I go ahead, please? Okay. Yeah. Um, one other thing you said about your process, Spencer, was about sharing and about um, keeping it real. Again, another speaker that I heard that I absolutely love, and um, I was sad to hear a couple of years ago he passed. Um, but an amazing AA speaker mm-hmm. who talks about keeping things a real piece of business and keeping them above the horizon. When he would let his problems sink below the horizon, meaning something you couldn't see anymore, those are when those problems became um, dangerous. But by keeping something above the horizon, a real piece of business, something that you share about, mm-hmm. something that isn't just locked inside your crazy brain, um, something that you work the program on, yeah. those those things, then you can trust the process mm. when you keep things a real piece of business, mm. not just, you know, a piece of junk mail. <laughs> so I, I do like to think, is this something that needs to stay a real piece of business or am I going to let it sink below the horizon? And those two phrases just really have stuck with me mm. for a number of years. I love that. And actually, that led right into what I was going to say, Fantastic. which was, I heard both of you kind of talking about sharing at meetings. And I just, I know we've been talking a lot about the process, but um, what exactly is the process for you guys? Um, mm. Like for me, the process um, really started when I started working the steps, got, well, got a sponsor first, then started working the steps and um, and going to meetings. And I I actually, I really don't like sharing at meetings, so I make it a point to share <laughs> because that probably means something. Does um, that mean I shouldn't be sharing? Well, <laughs> I think Spencer and I fall in the area of we really love to share in oh, meetings, <laughs> and maybe we should share less. <laughs> oh no, I'm visibly like I'm shaking, my voice is shaking, and I'm like, God, I just want to get this thought out so this can end. <laughs> but that's usually because I don't want to talk to people about my feelings, and mm-hmm. that's part of my program is to be more comfortable and accepting of myself in that way. And um, so whenever I have feelings or thoughts, it's important for me as part of my process to call people and uh, talk to people, my sponsor, uh, other program friends, and just get it out there and and share, even if not as a meeting, a one-to-one sharing, just to be accepting of myself in that way and get out of my head. That's what the process, I think, is for me, is working the steps, talking to people, talking to my sponsor, um, reading literature, and that really helps me with uh, doing the next right thing. What about what about for you guys, Spencer? Um, well, you know, as I said at the beginning, um, the only part of the process I could do was uh, to come to meetings and to start to listen to what people said, uh, to start to hear what people said, um, to start to say, hmm, I could try that. Uh, and then it moved into, uh, I mean, for, definitely for me, a, a big part of the Al-Anon process uh, is those 12 steps. Mm. Those 12 steps that I really had no idea how they were going to help my problems. Mm. Um, And that, honestly, I believe is where I found my real recovery, where I I was able to to come to serenity, to come to acceptance, was through working the steps, through working the scary steps uh, that involved self-examination 
and opening myself up to others and making amends for the wrongs I had done. Um, I think it is no coincidence that the promises in the AA Big Book come mm-hmm. in Step 9. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently, recently in the last year, I was, I was working the steps again, and I came to Steps 6 and 7, and I found real new power in the process of acknowledging a character defect, in my case, acknowledging a fear in Step 5, coming to own that fear and be ready for it to be gone and be willing for it to be gone in step six. And I had to work step six really hard on that particular one because I was afraid of what would happen Mm. as I went through the process of moving through the fear Mm -hmm. because I couldn't see, I didn't see how that was going to happen. I, I, there was no way that I could see that that would happen without pain Mm -hmm. and I didn't want the pain. And so I had to, I really had to work on becoming willing and, the moment that I really was willing to have that fear removed, I started being able to do the things that I was afraid of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and, and that, to me, was the power of really letting go, really being willing, really turning it over. And how does that work? How does that work? <laughs> and, um, and, and Anne's finding us the promises. I am you? finding us the promises because I think... Um, well, this is an, an Al-Anon based podcast. Uh, we are in Al-Anon. We I, I, speak okay. Al-Anon. You want to you wanna listen to the open talk that I posted up on the website on Friday? Yes. Um, Arbutus O'Neill. She uses her full name in the talk. Oh, I, 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 I have um, heard Arbutus's, some of her speaking. Um, she was actually there before Al-Anon was Al-Anon. Mm-hmm. Um, and she feels very strongly, in fact, she said, I make all of my sponsees read pages one through 160 of the of the big book, and if they won't do that, I won't sponsor them. I'm a big I am a big book thumper. <laughs> I, I love the big book, but I have discovered um, that read. I don't know if it's regional, mm-hmm. but in the area where I'm going to meetings now, there's a lot less interest in crossover between mm-hmm. the between. So I have had to become a little bit more um, aware of that mm-hmm. and. Um, I've gotten I've gotten shot down about some things in the past there, but I want to share these. Maybe that's why she is so was so adamant about it that she was speaking in 1993. And I I, um, I completely. I mean, she I, starts out her 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 talk by saying, "The manageability of my life depends on following the principles that were given to us by a group of ex drunks." Yes, <laughs> I, I, com- I completely <laughs> agree, and I think. Um, one of the greatest things in my program, I'm sure we talk about this, and Swetha mentioned the Saturday night at St. Joe's open AA meeting in Ypsilanti, Michigan, a fantastic meeting mm-hmm. that really changed my life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely changed my life. So I'm a big, I'm a big book thumping, AA loving Al-Anon who wants <laughs> to share with you when you're talking about trusting the process, how I know the process works and it's because I've seen these promises come true in the lives of people in Al-Anon and AA Mm -hmm. and I've heard about it in AA meetings and Al-Anon meetings for the last seven and a half years. Mm -hmm. So here it is. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past 
nor wish to shut the door on it. Mm. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. The feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And uh, are these extravagant promises? We, we think, think not. not. <laughs> um, it's huge. And this is these words still make me cry. They still make me shudder. I'm, I'm so excited to just have shared them with you on the podcast. That is why I trust the process. Mm -hmm. That's why. Because... Honestly, because I have seen it happen. Yes. Mm -hmm. I've seen it first in other people's lives and, and in my own. And in fact, about four weeks after I first came to my, to my first Al Anon meeting, um, I had been, you know, pretty much crying every week in a meeting. Um, I was struggling with, um, you know, my loved one's inability to find sobriety and my inability to do anything about it and and i had a lot of um you know anger and and fear and unhappiness in there at, at, and it was about my fourth meeting at the end of the meeting um another person walked up to me and said you're smiling yeah. i haven't seen you smile before okay where did that come from wow <laughs> wow okay. um so i thought You've heard these promises before. Oh yeah. yeah. Do you have you discovered that as you work through the program and as you trust this process, different parts of the promises speak to you more loudly than others? Yeah, definitely. I I just was thinking that while I was reading this when I first read when I first heard them, the fear of economic insecurity was a huge problem for me. Mm. And so the fact that I look now and and yeah, fear of economic insecurity will leave us. That spoke to me so loudly when I first entered the program. And today when I read this, the idea of not regretting the past nor wishing to shut the door on it speaks loudly to me. And I realize that as my program grows and changes and as I move through the program and trust the program, trust the process of the program, um, the program continues to speak to me just through different words at different times. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I, um, one of the, yeah, I'm busting out some literature here too, people. <laughs> um, I'm looking at the paths to recovery, Al-Anon steps, traditions, and concepts. And um, on page 29, which is on step three, these are the words that really actually got me to come back uh, regularly to the program is um, it says we need no longer look outside ourselves to other people for validation. And I was like, oh. whoa. Jigga, what now? <laughs> I was just like, that that can't possibly be true. In what universe is this real? But um I I loved that. Oh my God. Like I don't have to look to other people to figure out if I'm worth something. <laughs> that's craziness. And um and that's I think that's what the processes for me is an alternate way of I mean, I have a way of approaching life and approaching my uh, acceptance or lack thereof of myself and valuing myself again or lack thereof um and i can do that and i do that sometimes still but the program is another approach to that another approach to life and as i work the program more and more and see what works for me and what doesn't um i 
I tend to realize that certain things, I mean, when I am desperate for relief from my controlling way of thinking, the program is another way. And the more I work the program, the more it becomes something that's part of my heart, not the thing that I'm like, I need to figure out exactly how this works and then fix it. And I think that's kind of what I've, a great way of putting what I've been trying to say, which is my w old way mm -hmm. and the Al-Anon way mm -hmm. over the years have become, the old way has dripped away mm. and my way actually has become an Al-Anon way. Now yeah. I have to worry about, I mean, I do have things that um, pop up. It's why I continue to work a program um, because it's not my, natural inclination. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I said, my natural <laughs> yep. inclination got me here. Right. Um, but, but the more I work the program, the more I am the program. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just been a, a wonderful, mm -hmm. owner, my little miracle right there. Yeah. Okay, well, I decided to bust out some literature too. Um, and, and, and you asked, I was thinking, you asked about, um, you know, using... Can we can we read from the big book here? Right. Okay. Number one, this is not an Alan. Yes. Reading, right? I make that very clear at the beginning of the, yes. of the talk. We're talking about what's worked in our lives, and we're coming from an Alan mm. perspective. But you know, there are other things that have worked in our lives. There's a the reading about tradition four in our book, how Alanon works, and tradition four says each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting another group or Alanon or AA as a whole, and. The only restriction on this freedom is that the well-being of Al-Anon and AA must take precedence over the interests of any one group. Thus, we refrain from discussing other 12-step groups, philosophies, or therapies in our meetings. Only Al-Anon materials are used at Al-Anon meetings. And it goes on to say, as individuals, we are free to pursue anything and everything outside of the meeting that contributes to our health and well-being. We are encouraged to learn all we can about alcoholism, but as a group, we remain clear about why we have come together and what we hope to accomplish. And, and I think that's, that's the key here, that you know, in the meeting, we try to stick to the, to the Al-Anon program, but each of us finds our own things. And you know, I find people who found um, tremendous wisdom and help for their lives in the writings of Melody Beattie, for example, about codependence. The uh, literature put out by the Hazelden organization mm -hmm. um, really speaks to a lot of people. It's not conference-approved literature, so we don't use it in a meeting. The big book, there's some controversy there. Obviously, uh, according to Arbutus, it was really intended by the founders that the big book was sort of prerequisite to the Al-Anon materials. Right. That seems to have gotten lost. You know, in this podcast, um, we've talked about a number of, of different things. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the work of um, Brene Brown on uh, vulnerability and shame, and that was yes. that that particular work has been very influential in, in my life recently, um, understanding how I experience shame and how uh, being vulnerable has really um, enhanced my connection to other people and enhanced the work that I do in the al program. But I would not bring that into a meeting and say, well, you got to go you know, listen to this. I might say, I listened to this talk and it really you know, spoke to me. And then somebody else could decide they wanted to go hear it, but I wouldn't try to bring what was in that talk into the meeting. Yes, I have. I like so I like that tradition so much, and I'm glad you brought it up, uh, Spencer, because we all and as it relates to trusting the process, we all bring in all sorts of different materials 
that create our process. And one of the reasons I like listening to this podcast so much uh, when I'm away is that it does direct me to other things that maybe I haven't heard about. Um, you know, I know you've spoken about Anne Lamott before. She's one of my favorite writers. Right. And and her most recent book, Help Thanks Wow. Um, beautiful book. Beautiful book. And I can say that here, and I'm so grateful. Uh, yeah, I, I know there's at least one link to that book on the website. Maybe I'll stick one in the uh, notes for this show. Beautiful book. Um, and short. And short and accessible. Um, so I, I do appreciate that. It's interesting. Different um, meetings are more or less strict about that particular tradition, and I find that I tend to run in a crowd that's very AA friendly and very AA focused and, and interested. And then I now run in a crowd in my new home that is not. And it's been a very, it's been a difficult shift for mm -hmm. me. Um, but I know that there's got to be a reason, uh, for all that. And I will, you know, keep, keep trying to figure out where, where I'm going with that. We got a late email from a friend. I sent out a desperate message to my co-hosts um, yesterday, maybe, or maybe it was Friday, saying, I'm having trouble finding music for the show today. And uh, uh, I guess Anne passed this, this question on to another friend, and she wrote back with some music suggestions, which unfortunately did not make it into the show, but I will be putting a, a link to her list in the show notes. Uh, but she also said a lot of other stuff that's really relevant to our topic here in her email. So, Anne? Yes, I'm, I'm very grateful for this um, email, and I have permission to read it. It's from our friend uh, Diana Kay, and she is a, a very interested in music, and so her um, suggestions, take a look at them when you get a chance. This is what she had to say about trust and music. Trust is something that is highly linked with my relationship to my higher power. When I'm in a place of trusting, I am allowing for my higher power to take the reins, when I fight for control, I don't trust the pot process, path, and in effect, my higher power. Music is an important release for me and something that is central to my day-to-day -day existence. When I hear songs, my natural reaction is to interpret its meaning in terms of a romantic relationship. I've always done this and still do. However, since beginning to work a program and build a relationship with my higher power, something quite interesting has happened. I've started to notice that all of these songs and relationships can be interpreted as a relationship between God and myself. When I listen from this perspective, I often find comfort as opposed to frustrations of realizing why my relationship isn't this way or that way, or why my boyfriend doesn't do what that artist is singing about, or my boyfriend is totally does what that girl is singing about, that a-hole. My, boy <laughs> my boyfriend does that, but what if he stops? You get the idea. Interestingly, when I interpret music through my relationship with God, I find comfort in knowing that there is a constant and goodness that exists or can exist in my life if I let it in. This realization has been immensely powerful for me, and I now consciously try to redirect my thinking when I listen to music. Thank you, Diana. After a short break, we're going to be back with Our Lives in Recovery, where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. And uh, next, we're going to listen to Train singing Calling All Angels, which I I really like um, when I think about trusting the process, because it it just reminds me that before um, before the program, I was just like, everything's, um, well, everything is really messed up in the world, and that there's no hope, and that's what I kind of felt like before Al-Anon, 
that everyone was just selfish and self-centered and everything's just gone to crap. <laughs> and that, and I'd hear this song and I was like, oh, whatever, calling all angels, what angels? Everyone's going to hell. <laughs> it's terrible. And then I came to Al-Anon and trusting the process, this, this song became different to me, kind of like what Diana was talking about as I got into the program more and more, listening to people in the program. I, I, I kind of feel that way about the people in the meetings actually yeah. so here's here's calling all angels by train i need a sign to let me know you're here all of these lines are being crossed over the atmosphere section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. What's happening in our meetings and our lives this week? Anne? Well, um, as I've mentioned, I don't live in this area. We're recording this podcast in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I started my recovery here, but now I live um, outside Atlanta, Georgia. So I go to a couple of meetings down there. Um, one meeting I go to that I think is really interesting is called a fourth and 11th step meeting. It meets at noon on Wednesdays in Dunwoody, Georgia at the First Baptist Church. And it starts out the first half is fourth step, where we read a question out of Blueprint for Progress, just one. Mm -hmm. um, we're in the attitude section right now. And last week was, have you forgiven your parents for mm -hmm. mistakes they made while you were a child? So then we all share about that. And then halfway through the meeting, it, it basically breaks off fourth step and goes on to 11th step and does a reading out of um, the book that just came out in e-format. I'm looking at Spencer mm -hmm. because I know that it went up on the, you guys made a comment yeah, about it it's a great book it's out of print but you can only get it in ebook right now i think it's available for kindle nook kindle nook yeah mm -hmm. um i actually generally tend to take a picture with my phone of every reading that we do and then i send it out to my friends i hadn't ever seen that book um up here in michigan before it's very popular down there get, when spencer finds the title i'll mention it having had a spiritual awakening is Thank the title you. and it is available from amazon and barnes and noble for sure it's a it's a great it's a great piece of conference approved, approved literature. 
And it's the only conference-approved e-literature at the moment. Ah, see, we're moving into the into the digital era here in Al Anon. <laughs> yeah. uh, I really want the Daily Reader like integrated with a calendar or something. But oh, you're so techy. I am, <laughs> and we're very grateful for your techiness because that's why we have this blog. So we stop there and then start a reading about the eleventh step. It's a very interesting format, different than um, one I've been to before, and. I like it. It fits in really well with my work schedule. That's mm-hmm. one thing. And I have met some new people through that. So that's my Wednesday meeting. And then on sun, Saturdays, I go to a morning meeting um, in Loganville. It's the Loganville Al- Al-Anon Family Group meeting. And this past week was about... I think it was about trust. I think maybe that's why this has been on my mind. And then I also was asked to do a seventh step talk at a, at another meeting, a Saturday night meeting. So I went to my Saturday morning meeting and then that night I went and spoke to a group that I had not spoken at before. Um, and I did a lead about the seventh step and the kind of trust it takes in your higher power to humbly ask, um, for God to remove all these shortcomings. And, and trust that those shortcomings will be removed or can be removed. It was a, it was a pretty emotional, um, talk for me. And I spoke a lot about my, my goal of the past year that has been about being a woman of honor and dignity. And so that was what we did there. It's been a good week, uh, for Al-Anon in, in the Northeast Atlanta area. <laughs> Thanks, Anne. What about you, Spencer? Okay. Besides this podcast, which I really consider to be another meeting in my in my week, and uh, and the recovered podcast, which I do with Mark, uh, who's a, a friend of mine in the program, he, it's more that's more of an AA uh, podcast. But he lets me sit in as an Al Anon. We talked about anniversaries last week. It was an interesting discussion. And uh, but the Sunday night meeting, we usually open the table with a reading from from one of the daily readers. We read from Courage to Change for March twenty fourth which likens alcoholism to Alzheimer's Hmm. in that both of those diseases affect somebody's behavior Mm -hmm. on the outside, but, but, but looking at them, just physically looking at them, you might not see the disease, Mm. but that the, the changes in behavior can be, you know, very fundamental and, and very hard on the people who, who love the, the sufferer. And, uh, uh, that prompted some interesting sharings around the table uh, with people being maybe accepting of the concept. I know there was at least one person who was really angry at that idea. Huh. Um, so it was a, it was an interesting meeting. Friday night's meeting, the uh, the Young at Heart meeting in Ann Arbor, the uh, topic, since it was the fifth Friday, our topic for fifth Friday is where am I in my program? And so we got a lot of different shares uh, going on there. Um, I spoke about how doing this podcast has really um, strengthened my program because of the opportunity to sit down with a couple of other people and talk deeply about a topic once a week is amazing. For me, I was uh, I was out of town on Monday, so I didn't make my Monday meeting. Um, and then Wednesday, I had a, a deadline to meet at work, <laughs> so I didn't make my Wednesday Ooh. meeting. And I did go to Friday on my hands and knees. <laughs> like, <laughs> I need a meeting. And uh, I, it was the Friday meeting you just mentioned, Spencer. And so when we talked about what was going on in our programs, my discussion was about self-care <laughs> and how uh, self-care for me actually means um, going to meetings more often 
And also on Saturday, I went to St. Joe's, which I mentioned before, and I really liked the talk there because he did talk about a spiritual condition. And actually, since we were talking about what we did in our lives this week, because I wasn't taking care of myself, I wanted to read a small excerpt out of the big book. Is that okay with you guys? (laughs) (laughs) Great. Okay. It says, um, because I didn't go to my meetings this week, I started slipping back into my old behavior and I was reminded of, uh, of this quote in... Page 85 of Big Book, it's in, it's called, the chapter is called Into Action, and it says, um, we are not cured of, well, here it says alcoholism, but I just substitute the word codependency everywhere it says alcoholism. So for me, it was, we are not cured of codependency. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a, is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. And I did not do that this week. So (laughs) I needed those meetings and it helped me get back on track. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I forgot. Um, Last night, I went to a wedding. Oh. Um, What I really took from that wedding was watching the families together, the two families of the the bride and the groom, um, each, they're very close families and it was really obvious from watching them the way they they just interacted with each other the the love that they showed for each other in their in their actions and their expressions it was um it was a beautiful thing to to be able to be part of um to be you know sort of a, a little bit on the outside these are family friends of ours they're not relatives and uh, but that to see that was just very very nice Okay, and um, so our topic next week will be step four, which is made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. We welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. Please leave a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or questions about step four. Spencer, how can people send us feedback? Well, you can call and leave us a voicemail, uh, as we as we heard today. Um, that phone number is 734-707-8795. Yes, just put the podcast on pause. You can do that right now if you want to, if you've got a thought in your head, and join the conversation at 734-707-8795. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send an email to feedback at com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of trusting the process or next week's topic of step four. And if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. And actually, speaking of that, um, I put up a new page on the website. It's it's a little bit hidden right now. I'm going to make it more visible, uh, where we have a list of all the topic ideas that we've come up with, and and also uh, for the ones we've already talked about, what show we talked about them in. So uh, you could go look at that and say, oh yeah, I really want to hear about this, or you could say, wow, my idea is not on that list. I want to add it and send us an email. Thanks. Hey Ann, where can our visitors find out more about the Recovery Show? Well, our website, therecoveryshow.com, has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, a blog with daily meditation, links to the music we play, and a page which we periodically post recordings of Alan on open talk speakers. We've also got a few links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. By the way, I have been pushing this, and I have a couple friends that follow the blog with daily meditations, and they always tell me how great they think it is, so... Keep Take a look at it if you haven't yet. Another way to contribute to the content of the podcast and the website is to leave comments on the show notes or on the blog. Just hop on over to therecoveryshow.com and enter the conversation there. Uh, we did have a comment that we're going to share. Susan commented about our meditation on control. 
She says, we have a non-12-step group, although some of us do attend Al-Anon, for parents of kids who are struggling with alcoholism and addiction. It's mostly just a coffee group where we get together to talk about what's going on at home and share what has worked for us and what hasn't and provide hope for parents. We often have topics like boundaries, gratitude, etc. I have recommended your site and podcast to them. This one is perfect. It speaks to what so many of us struggle with. Thank you. P.S. Great song choice. Well, thank you, Susan, for joining in. I really appreciate um, the comments. It's always so nice to know that there are people out here listening to what we're doing in this room here in Ann Arbor. And we got an email from Tom. Uh, he says, I'm a double winner. Um, and for those of you who are not familiar with that terminology, that means somebody who's in both programs. Um, because, you know, most people in AA have friends or relatives who are alcoholics and therefore qualify under Tradition 3 for Al-Anon. Um, he says, and I see Spencer sometimes at meetings. He gave me the website URL. Thanks, Spencer. Congratulations on this really nice site with a lot of good there for me. Also, I like the photos. I'm listening to the podcast on blame. I needed to hear a lot here. One liability in using your site is maybe not having a smartphone, so I have to listen on my desktop, but it's worth it. And Tom, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, I know when I, when I gave you the card with the website on it, you were kind of like, well, I don't know about this podcast thing, but I'll go check it out. And I'm, I'm really glad that, uh, you know, you found something for you there. We've also got a new open talk up on the site, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, the speaker is Arbutus O.N. And she's been around uh, since before Al-Anon existed, and she gives a really powerful talk. Um, give it a listen. You really, I, you will not be sorry. You, you will listen. not be sorry. <laughs> um, I, I just, I, you know, I was listening to this, like riding the bus home from work and trying really hard not to burst into tears at some point while you know, riding the bus. Okay. Um, it was that powerful. We're going to close the show with trust you by Brandon Heath. And, um, to me, this is a, a song. Um, he's having some difficulty trusting, but he says, you took your life and gave me yours. There's no reason why I shouldn't trust you with mine. It's never easy changing my direction. It's so unnatural to loosen up my grip. Are you growing weary of all my good intentions? Because I know that you don't work that way. And uh, in the chorus, he says, uh, I must now surrender. There's no other way. And and to me, you know, there's the program. Mm. There is the program. There is the program. Because when I came into the program, the people in the program gave me their trust by sharing their life with me. And I reciprocate. And I come to trust. And so here we are. I can't walk without watching where I'm going. I can't speak without knowing what to say. I can't love without any hesitation. Cause I know that you don't work that way. I can't reach without something to offer. I can't come now, I am so ashamed I can't hold out from you any longer Cause I know that you don't work that way I'm not gonna fight you anymore I'm not gonna try to lock the door you took your life and gave me yours There's no reason why I shouldn't trust you with mine It's never easy changing direction
affection It's so unnatural to loosen up my grip Are you growing weary of all my good intentions? Cause I know that you don't work that way I'm not gonna fight you anymore Not gonna try to lock the door You took your life and gave me yours There's no reason why I shouldn't trust you with mine Some days this weight upon my shoulder is my shame I know I should know better Cause you say That I must now surrender There's no other way Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so that we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. There's no good reason why I shouldn't trust you I'm not gonna fight